Hello, friends, and glad we're once again together as we continue our deep dive into the book of John. I'm Colin. It's all part of our series, Life in His Name. Days after rising from the grave, Jesus once again appears to His disciples. This time, it's by the Sea of Galilee. They don't recognize Him right away. That is, until He tells the struggling fishermen to cast the nets just one more time. The scenario must have seemed very familiar to Simon Peter. After all, it was Jesus who earlier called him out of fishing to be a fisher of men. As Pastor Brian Brosen tells us, despite setbacks, God wasn't through with Peter. And just like Peter, despite our own shortcomings, God can redeem and restore the mission and call He's placed in our lives. We are um, almost to the end of our series in the Gospel of John. We come today to chapter 21. And normally we read, the, we read together the passage that we're going to be considering, but today I asked Richard if he would read uh, from Luke chapter 5 because there is a bit of a parallel that we'll come back to uh, as we look at chapter 21 today. But, but this 21st chapter of John is very much in accordance with the way John has presented his gospel, in as much as it is unique. So all four gospels, of course, have information about things that happened after the resurrection of Jesus, mostly the other three Gospels deal with the, uh, what, what we call sometimes the Great Commission, where Jesus sends the disciples out into the world to go to make uh, of the nations followers of his and, and so forth. Um, but John, as his habit is, he gives us a different perspective. And... So this 21st chapter, although it's the, it's the final chapter of John, he doesn't have a great commission here. He's already pretty much said that in chapter 20 when he said, uh, as the Father sent me into the world, so I'm sending you. That's kind of his version of the great commission. And now here in chapter 21, he's um, really, he's going to tell us about Peter. And maybe, maybe you remember if you've been with us or if you've read through the gospel, you might remember that Peter, who on one occasion assured Jesus that he would never um, deny him. Jesus actually had told them that uh, he was going to be arrested and they were all going to, they were all going to, you know, flee for their lives. Peter pipes up and he says, not me, no way. I, I will, I will, these others might forsake you, but I will never forsake you. And yet Peter is the one who actually does deny Jesus. And so what John is doing here in this 21st chapter is he's telling us basically the story about how Jesus restores Peter from that crisis of faith that he went through. But as he tells us that, there are uh, different things here in 
uh, the story that I think we will find applicable to ourselves. So let me read verses 1 through 14 of John 21, and then we will uh, walk through it and then look for that application. So afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, both names mean twin, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, or literally children, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from the shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153, but even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. So we'll stop there. Uh, the story will go on and we'll, we'll get into uh, the details of this, this restoration of Peter in our next uh, teaching next week. But, but this, is, uh, the, this is the beginning of this process through these seemingly incidental uh, events this is the beginning of John telling the story of how Jesus is going to uh, restore Peter. Now, I want to just, as I said, just sort of walk through the passage and just highlight a few things. So the first thing to note is that all of this takes place in Galilee. And uh, John tells us in verse 14 that this is the third time that Jesus appeared to them after his resurrection. So the previous two um, appearances happened in Jerusalem. And now here, we don't know how much time has transpired. The first appearance of Jesus to them was on the day of his resurrection. The second time he appeared to them in Jerusalem was one week later. And now we don't know how much time has, has uh, elapsed, but now they are in Galilee. They're up in the northern part of the country around the Sea of Galilee. And the picture that is behind me, 
would give you an idea of what the setting would be on this particular occasion. This is, this is the... This is the Sea of Galilee early in the morning as the sun is rising over the hills on the other side of the sea. So this is, this is what it would have looked like on that day. And so Jesus, we are told, early in the morning, he's standing on the shore. They're out on the lake fishing, or at least had been fishing all night, and Jesus is standing on the shore, and he shouts out to them to ask them if they have caught anything. And he says, when he shouts out to them, he says, not friends, as our translation reads, he literally says children. And I think that's so fascinating that Jesus refers to these men. Now, they're all roughly the same age. Jesus at this point is 32, 33 years old. Uh, the rest of them are probably similar in age. There might have been a few, maybe John himself, that was considerably younger. But it's so interesting that Jesus refers to them as children, but he's doing that in, in the sense that uh, they are indeed his children. He is the Lord, and he's been making that clear all the way through. And the resurrection, of course, would have, would have uh, solidified that. And then Thomas's cry, my Lord and my God. So I just think it's, it's an interesting note that Jesus refers to them here as children. Now, he says to them, they, they've caught nothing, and he says to them, throw the net on the right side of the boat, and there you will find some fish. This would have, and it obviously did, trigger something with John. So when Jesus says, throw the net to the other side of the boat, Remember, this is, this is very similar to what we read in Luke chapter 5. Sometime earlier in their experience with Jesus, there was another occasion where he told them to go out and drop down the net. And the outcome was that even though they had labored and labored and labored and caught nothing, the outcome was that they now had a, a great catch of fish. So when this happens... This time, immediately, John understands that this is the Lord. That person that, you know, they're 100 yards out. It's early in the morning. The sun is just rising up over the hills. So it would be a bit difficult to make out from 100 yards out. It would be a bit difficult to make out just exactly who it was that was standing on the shore. But John instantly knows that it's the Lord. It's the Lord. We've been here before. We've done this before. Remember what happened that other time when he said something similar to us. And so I think it's interesting to just think about John as this person who has, um, he has deep spiritual perception. 
Now, Peter, uh, so John, John is the person who kind of, he sees things. And his whole gospel is really evidence of that. You know, we've been talking about it all the way through this gospel that we've been studying. We've mentioned before, and some of you would know by experience. You read Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and they're very, very similar. Although the more you read them, you realize, oh, they are different. I think when you, uh, like a surface reading of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you almost think, I'm, I'm just reading the same thing over and over again. But the more you read, the more you realize, oh, no, there, there are differences. But with John... John just comes at everything from a completely different angle. And that is sort of indicative of John's perception. John's seeing things that, for whatever reason, other people aren't seeing. And he's telling us those things. So where John, John's the one who, it's the Lord. Peter's the one who says, it's the Lord. Oh, wow, I better jump in the lake. You know, so Peter's kind of like the guy who takes the action. John is the guy who sees what, what is happening. We see this in the story of how Peter and John both went to the tomb of Jesus. And John tells us that when they got to the tomb, Peter looked at the whole situation. But John perceived what had happened. And, and I, I love that. You know, there, there are people who... Just have that, that ability to, to see things that, that others might not see. My oldest daughter is very much like that. Um, when she was a little girl, she would, you know, she would be looking at something and, and she would start pointing out things. Maybe it was a painting or, or something like that. Um, she, would, she could just automatically know. If she looked at your face, she would automatically know if anything on your face had changed. You know, and of course, this worked obviously with women because women's faces change because they use makeup and things like that. But I, I just remember her as a little girl being so perceptive. John was that kind of person. He was a, he was a perceptive person. And so he is the one who uh, makes these connections. And then notice here that Jesus... Then he, they, they come to shore, and Jesus has made a, uh, a fire, and he is cooking them breakfast. And he says to them, he says, come and have breakfast. Now, this is actually the title that I've given to the message today, and we'll get to the application of this in a moment. But... As I look at this whole thing, the thing that really impresses me is the humanness and the naturalness in the story. Now, you know, a lot of times people, when they think about the Bible, having never read the Bible, they have these assumptions about the Bible. They often say things like, oh, you know, the Bible, you can't really understand it. It's, it's, it's so mysterious or it's so mystical or, you know, it's filled with superstition and sort of magical kinds of things and all of that. And, and when anybody 
says things like that, the first thing I know is that this person has not read the Bible. Because when you read the Bible, one of the striking things about it is how natural it is. How it just seems like, yeah, this, this, is, this is just the, the way it was. And even though there are supernatural elements to it, they're not, they're not weird supernatural things. They just happen in a, in a very, in, in some ways, just in the, the natural course of events. And so John here is, is communicating this, and it all just seems like such um, a natural thing. And I think this is something that we need to realize, that God works supernaturally, but he does so quite often in very natural ways. And, and we see that when we look at these stories. We don't have to think in terms of if God is moving, if God is doing something, ooh, there's going to be some, whoa, I don't know if I'm ready for that. Oh, that could be scary. Uh, you know, a lot of people think that about church, and sometimes for good reason, because sometimes you go into churches and there's kind of some weird things going on. You're like, wait a second, what is that? <laughs> and... Um, uh, oftentimes, I, I think that, you know, I, I don't think God's in that. I think we can conjure things up to make it look supernatural. But God works in very natural ways, supernaturally. And so we see that as we go through the story here. But listen to this. And this is, this is one of the most fascinating things here in the whole thing. Jesus says, come have breakfast. And then it says this, it says, none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. What? What? What does that even mean? Now, it says on the one hand, they knew it was the Lord. But then it says, but they, they didn't ask if it, is, is this really you, Jesus? So what this tells us is that there was something different about Jesus than there had been before his death and resurrection. And we see something similar with uh, Mary, when Jesus is risen uh, on that first day of the week and Mary encounters him at the tomb, she doesn't recognize him. She thinks he's the gardener. And it's not until Jesus speaks that she realizes it's him. Remember that? She says to him, she says, oh sir, uh, if, if, if you've taken his body and put it somewhere, Tell me and I will go get it. She thinks he's the gardener. And then he says to her, Mary. And when Jesus speaks, she says, oh, my master. We find a similar thing recorded for us in Luke's gospel when um, these two men are traveling on the road to Emmaus. And as they're walking along and they're depressed and they're really downcast because of the things that have happened concerning the death of Jesus. As they're walking along, Jesus comes and begins to walk with them, but they don't recognize him. And he comes along and he says, what, what's going on? What are you talking about? Why, why are you so sad as you walk along? And they say, oh, don't you know the things that have happened? Are you a stranger? Haven't you heard? Then they start to tell Jesus about Jesus. And it's not until they get to 
the house that they're going to, Jesus comes in and has a meal with them. And it's not until he blesses the, the meal that they recognize him. And then he vanishes. And so here, there's something about him that's different. But the scripture never tells us what it is. It just, it just indicates that that is the case. Now, why, why is this the case? Why, and, and why are we being told this? Could it be that Jesus, could it be at this, at this stage what Jesus is doing as he's preparing them for the way things are going to be in the future? The future is that they are not going to see Jesus they're going to hear him. That's going to be the future. Now, they have only known Jesus up to this point. They, they, of course, knew him as another person. They knew him by sight. They saw him. They recognized him. They knew what he looked like. They spent years with him. They had face-to-face conversations with him. But everything is about to change. And they're still going to hear him. They're still going to be guided by him. He's still going to be with them, but they're not going to see him. And so maybe this is just uh, his way of preparing them for what is yet to come. Maybe it's his way of preparing them to hear him. And remember, uh, maybe from, from our last teaching, where Thomas, remember Jesus appeared to all the disciples after his resurrection on the first day. Thomas was not there. They went, they found Thomas later, and they told him, the, the Lord's risen. He was with us. We saw him. We, we spoke with him. Thomas says, I don't believe it. I'm never going to believe it. Thomas says, I'm not going to believe it unless I see him, and not only see him, but unless I put my, unless I put my fingers in his wounds, I will not believe it. And then a week later, Jesus appears once again in the room. Thomas is there, and Jesus says, Thomas, come and see my wounds. Put your hand in my side, and do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas says, oh, my Lord and my God. And Jesus says, Thomas, you believe me because you've seen, but blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. That, of course, is all of us. That's everybody from that point forward. So Jesus, I think in some ways, is probably preparing them for that. Now, the whole experience of this great catch of fish that they have on this particular morning, this would take them back when something similar had happened. And that's the time that we read about from Luke chapter 5 this morning. So this would would take them all back in their minds to that time. And and what happened, what particular thing happened on that day? Beside this miraculous catch of fish, remember as we read there, this is where Peter has... um, Peter has a a glimpse of who Jesus actually is at this point. Now, at this point, they understood that Jesus was from God. They, in some ways, thought he was probably the Messiah, but they didn't really know. And yet, as we read in Luke chapter 5, 
when the, when the miracle of these fish takes place, Peter has this sudden understanding that Jesus is the Lord, that he's God, that he's the creator of all things. He's the God of Israel. Peter suddenly, that flashes on his mind. And what does Peter say? He says, depart from me, Lord. I'm a sinful person. And what does Jesus say to him? He says, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. From this point forward, you will catch people. You've been a fisher of fish. From this point forward, you will catch people. So all of that's in the past. Now, fast forward to where we're at right now. Peter is once again undoubtedly radically aware of his failure. Before he says, depart from me, Lord, I'm a sinful person. What, what do you think is going through the mind of Peter now? So think about this. Peter has denied Jesus. We, we mentioned that. He swore with an oath, I do not know him. The very last, before Jesus went to the cross, the very last moment, uh, Peter and Jesus, their eyes locked together after Peter had denied Jesus. Jesus had told him in advance he would, but their eyes locked and it says that Peter went out and he wept convulsively. So here is a person who has had this emotional um, crushing because of his own failure. Now, Peter, there's no reason to think that Peter wasn't there during the two times that Jesus appeared to them before. But it's clear that Jesus never addressed Peter on a personal level. Jesus never talked about, uh, by the way, Peter, let's, let's talk about what happened that night. That, that's not happened yet. That is coming. That's what this is leading up to. So what I want you to do is think about, think about how Peter would be feeling right now at this very moment. He would be feeling, undoubtedly, the weight of his failure. Now, remember, as we read the story here, remember, Peter was the one who said, hey, I'm going to go fishing. And they said, okay, we'll go with you. Now, why did Peter go fishing? Did he go fishing because he was bored and he just thought this would be a good thing to do because we, we are fishermen? Did he go fishing because uh, I guess maybe this is what the future holds for me? There was a moment where it seemed like I had a different uh, trajectory for my life, God's calling, but, but I've probably blown that. That's probably not going to happen now because of my own failure. We don't know what was going on in the mind of Peter, but we know that Peter, when, Peter was the one who initiated that they go fishing. And maybe it was because he felt like he needed to just simply go back to what he was doing before because he couldn't see how he could move ahead having done what he did, having failed to the degree that he failed. But what's happening here is that all of these little incidental things that John is telling us about, these are all 
preparation for the event that's going to come where Jesus reinstates Peter publicly. Peter denied Jesus three times publicly. Jesus, as we will see next week, he is going to give Peter the opportunity to reaffirm his commitment to him, and he's going to do it three times. And so all, all of this is really what's stirring here at this point. And so as we look at the story, what can we take away from the story for ourselves? The first thing I think that we should take away is that the mission, the calling, the plan hasn't changed regardless of your failure, the time lapse, the obstacles, twist, and turns that you didn't foresee. You see, the, the most easy thing to think would be that because of Peter's failure, everything's changed. Yeah, Peter, this is what you were going to do, but because this is what you did or didn't do, that's all changed, and um, the deal's off. You're no longer going to fish for people, Peter. You're going to have to go back to fishing for fish. But that is not what Jesus says to him. And we need to know this because like Peter, we fail in life. Even as Christians, we fail. And when we fail, we are tempted immediately to think that the deal's off. Well, I messed that up. There can't be any future blessing that's going to come because, man, I, I've, just, I've just totally screwed things up. You could understand how Peter would think that. But that is not the case. And so whether it's through failure on our part, whether it's through sin on our part, or whether it's just simply that I, I heard God speak and he said this to me, but man, that was so long ago and, and it's never... I, I don't know what's happened. Where, where did that promise go? Or, you know, I thought God was saying this, but then this obstacle came up and then this, this twist in the road and I, I don't even know anymore. We can find ourselves in places like that, but here's the word. The call remains. The call remains. Jesus is in the business of restoration. That's what he does. That's his mission, is to restore. And he even restores his own people, as we see with Peter. So that's the first thing. Secondly, and I, and I really love this. When I, when I look at this passage, I see this, that we should expect Jesus to show up unannounced when we least expect him with fresh grace and guidance for your life and ministry. You know, this is like, this is a beautiful thing about knowing 
Christ and following him. He just never ceases to surprise us with his grace and his goodness. And, and at times when it's just completely unexpected. And I am sure that the last thing that these guys thought on this night before when they went out onto the sea to fish and were discouraged in the morning because they hadn't caught anything, I don't think any of them were thinking, you know, I bet Jesus is going to show up and sort this out. They were not thinking that. And when this voice is calling out to them from the beach, they're like, you know, who is this person? And it's not until he says something familiar that they recognize. But I've seen this so many times in life where the Lord, he just, he just steps into things and he does things that you don't expect. And he often does it when you least expect it. And sometimes he does it in times when you think, well, God's absolutely not going to show up now because, again, look at the mess we've made of everything. But he does. I just picked up a book this week because I heard an interview with a man who wrote the book. Um, and the man's name is Os Guinness, and I have read many of his books and enjoy them. But he wrote this book on, um, the book is called Transcendence. And the, the premise of the book is he's telling a number of stories about people who have had these, these sort of random, they seemed like these random transcendent experiences that were really this kind of thing right here, that were really God showing up in unexpected times and places, and through God showing up, this has brought them to their life of faith in Jesus. The most well-known person uh, for, for us would be somebody like C.S. Lewis. Everybody know the name C.S. Lewis? How many of you know who C.S. Lewis is? So C.S. Lewis was, uh, you know, if you ever saw the Chronicles of Narnia, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, he, he's the author of all that. But what a lot of people don't know is that C.S. Lewis was not only a uh, a famous um, literary professor at Oxford and Cambridge, but he was an adamant atheist and very much uh, an, an opponent to Christianity. He wrote his story in a book called Surprised by Joy. And Surprised by Joy, the reason why he called his book Surprised by Joy, because he traces throughout his life, even beginning in childhood, these moments, these unexplainable moments of what he called joy. He didn't really have a, a better name for it. But it was just these moments where suddenly everything just, and it was, he didn't, it wasn't like there was a God element to it necessarily. There was just this thing like, an overwhelming feeling that he described as joy that would just, in a flash, it would just come upon him and then it would leave. And it would happen periodically throughout his life. But eventually, it became clear that these little glimmers of joy were God's intervention into his life that would finally bring him to the place of bowing his knee before Jesus Christ. But the reason why I, I just love these kinds of stories because it's this type of thing here. God just shows up. And Jesus, in what he does here, he's, he's showing us that, that, that we can expect 
the unexpected. We should live with the expectation that unannounced, when we least think that there would be something like this to happen, that that's when it does so often happen. And he comes, as he does here, with fresh grace and guidance for your ministry. N.T. Wright, in his little commentary on John's gospel, uh, he said this. Let me read it to you. It's real short. He said, stand in your mind's eye with the disciples in the boat. What projects have you been laboring over and getting nowhere? You know, what things are, are there that you, you know, you thought God was doing or you believed God was doing, but it doesn't seem like anything's happening. Or again, maybe there's a, a failure component that you think, well, maybe it's, it's all gone now. He said this, he said, watch for the dawn, watch for the figure on the shore, listen for his voice, and then do whatever he tells you. I love that. Just watch and listen and do. Because the Lord will show up. He will come in those unexpected times. And then thirdly, come have breakfast. Jesus is inviting them to meet with him. And this is a standing invitation that goes out to me and you today. Jesus is inviting us, come have breakfast. In other words, come and spend time with me. Now, it is entirely possible, and it's often the case, that Christian people, whether they are just regular Christian people who attend church and, you know, live Christian lives, but aren't, say, in ministry in the sense of vocationally, but it happens with all categories of Christian people that we easily get caught up in the, the mechanics or just the religious part of things, the duty, that, that sort of thing, that we can go a long time in our lives just doing that stuff without ever actually connecting with Jesus himself. Without ever expecting that I'm going to open my Bible and spend time here because God's going to speak to me. And God's going to show himself to me. And God's going to uh, give me direction and things like that. But this is what he does. And the invitation that he gave them to come and have breakfast with him is an invitation that he extends to each of us today. In other words, Jesus would say to us, would you just take some time with me? With me. Now, I have to confess that I do not have breakfast with Jesus as often as I should. I have breakfast with oftentimes unpleasant people. Because during my breakfast, I'm scrolling through Twitter. And I'm just reading all of the junk <laughs> that is there in my feed. 
And by the time breakfast is over, I'm like, I'm mad at the world. I'm just fed up and sick of everything. And then I got to go out and, you know, deal with the day. But what, uh, how much better if I just said, I'm, I'm going to have breakfast with Jesus this morning. I'm going to spend time with him. And I'm going to do that with an expectation. Because I think many of us, I think we live, you know, we live our lives where we're kind of like the old Jackson Brown song. We're running on empty. And, you know, we just, we just, we keep going, we keep going, and man, but the tank is just, it's so low, it's just, any moment, we're going to be on the side of the road, completely shut down. But as I meet with Jesus, as I just take the time to be with him, he meets with us. Think about that. God himself meets with people. This is what he wants to do. This is what he came to do. This is what he died to do. He died to bring us into a relationship with him that is intimate and personal. When you look back at the beginning of time and the very first people that God created, he created them to be in a relationship. And that relationship was broken through sin, but Jesus came to mend that so we could have that kind of experience that they had where we walked with him and we talked with him and we experienced his presence. And so that is the invitation. Do not neglect this amazing opportunity. There's so much to know about God and how, how many of God's people ever take the time to really get to know him. How often are we just content with the surface level knowledge? Take advantage of the opportunity. And the final thing is that we don't go back. We go forward. Peter, what, 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 whatever he was doing, was he, trying, was he just assuming that he ought to go back to what he did before because there was no future? We, we don't know for sure. Maybe he did. But I know there are some people today who would think that about themselves. Some people would think that because of failure. Other people think that because of sin. They think that, oh, there's something better out there. I, I'm going to go back to that. Don't go back. Because you'll find when you get back, there's nothing really there. You thought there was, but no, there's not. Don't go back. Go forward. And Peter, and again, I'm priming you for next week. You'll see the full restoration of Peter. But... Um, Peter doesn't go back. Peter does go forward. And then he writes later on in life. He writes these two letters. And in the second letter, he talks to us about how to go forward. And so I want to close today by reading to you from 2 Peter chapter 1. And, and just listen to what Peter says. This is the way forward. 
He says this, his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. So everything we need for a godly life comes to us through what? Through our knowledge of him. As we get to know him, we discover that everything we need is in him. And then he says this, for this very reason, because this is the case, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness and to godliness mutual affection and to mutual affection love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. See, Peter is telling us, Let's keep moving forward. You have faith. That's the foundational thing. Now add to your faith. Keep going. Keep growing. And Peter was one who did that. Peter was one who knew that by experience. Peter was one who thought at a certain point, maybe I, I can't go forward because of my failure. But Jesus said, no. I forgive you. And you can go forward. And so let's do that. And once again today, we have the bread and the cup before us. And you know, this is a moment for us. And more and more I think about how we do this each and every Sunday. Just how important this is. And this, this is not, you know, just an addendum to what we're doing in the sense of, it, well, you know, it's a ritual or we, we, you know, we just do this for whatever reason. No, this, this is, we do this because this is our moment to re-engage in the covenant relationship that we have with the Lord. This is our moment to be able to say, Jesus, in some cases, forgive me. In Jesus, some cases, help me. And Jesus, uh, Jesus, in some cases, um, restore me. In some cases, Jesus, um, illuminate me, give me understanding. It's a time for us to, to actually re-engage with the Lord. To just say, okay, the week we've just come through is behind us. It's behind me. And the successes, the failures, whatever they are, I've got a fresh week ahead of me. Lord, thank you that your grace is also here to meet me. And through the bread and the cup, the body and the blood of Jesus, <coughs> we here, of course, were reminded of his great love for us and his great covenantal commitment to us. You know, a covenant... Jesus said, this is my blood, this is my body, this is the, the blood of the new covenant. 
A covenant is a relationship. And marriage is probably the closest thing that we can liken a covenant to. It's deeper than marriage. It's a deep, intimate, permanent relationship. And that's, that's what God has brought us into. He's brought us into the covenant. And sometimes what we need to do is simply remember that. And so Jesus said, as often as you do this, remember me. And remember what I did to bring you to myself. And don't let any of that be lost. But let it all be experienced to the fullness. And so, Lord, we pray as we share in the bread and the cup today, we pray that you would meet us exactly where we need to be met, just as you met Peter where he needed to be met. Thank you, Lord, that you are the God who cleanses, forgives, heals, restores, the God who restates, resends and as we share today in this bread and cup meet each one where we need to be met amen